Welcome to The John Chapman Show, where we talk about the path of a wealthy millennial, uncovering the truth about building and protecting your nest egg. Join us on this journey as we hear the stories of millennials and mentors alike to help you plan, manage, and protect your wealth. John is an employee of WorthPoint LLC. All opinions expressed by John and podcast guests are solely their own opinion and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of WorthPoint. This podcast should not be relied upon for investment decisions and is for informational purposes only. Frankie Calkins, welcome back to the podcast. John, thanks for having me back. I'm excited. So it's back to school season. I did an episode recently on 529 college savings. I had a lot of fun doing that, but my wheels have been turning. Like my kids are going back to school and I've been chatting even with just some clients. And just this idea of financial literacy is really on top of my mind. So especially for you, like being a former teacher, educator, and uh, going through all of that system, I wanted to have you back so that we could explore some of this. It's a big topic, and obviously we're not going to get through it today, but I want to know why the heck is financial literacy so elusive? I want to know why is that the case and maybe what our listeners, or even just heck us, what we can do for our families or our kids. So just some of the things that are on my mind. So I guess I want to start. Can you give us some background again? Remind us, what's your education background and training and who are you as a teacher? Yeah, so after I graduated college at the University of Washington, I went into the Teach for America program. So they sent me down to San Jose, California, and I ended up teaching the requirements two years, but I ended up teaching four years with like an added year of substituting because I just couldn't get away, I guess. But mainly it was 11th grade English. I also taught drama, film studies, a couple other electives as well. But um, yeah, a really awesome experience. Hmm, good for you. So you covered like kind of a range of things. And I guess I'm curious, like, for those of us that haven't been through the education system, how are you taught to instruct your students as a teacher? So I, I know I've had some other friends go through TFA and there's sort of weekly study plans or study guides. So like what's involved as a teacher in terms of how you're structuring your days uh, for teaching your children? Yeah, I mean, Fortunately or unfortunately, a lot of it is teaching to the standards. And so teachers have a lot of good insight going into it and into their training of what that state's standards are for that, that grade and that subject. And so you're kind of working backwards from there. And it can definitely be different in every classroom. So some curriculums are literally scripted. So I taught a ninth grade course my first year there. And the kids standard of reading was at the third grade level. And so this was really a catch-up course, and it was extremely scripted versus I also taught um, IB English for 11th graders, and that was kind of up to me to pick what books fit best with the standards so that we were teaching to the test, essentially. So I say fortunately and unfortunately because the standards are, are set for a certain reason. There's a lot of really good stuff in there, but unfortunately, a lot of key things I think can get missed or glossed over just purely for the sake of time as you see the, the days counting down uh, to the testing date. Yeah. Okay. I got you. So I guess with that in mind, though, it's important for me to, to understand just the background is like there are standards that are set and you're working backwards from that. And so as opposed to the, the, the really being incumbent upon the teacher to then like be the one that's leading the charge. So it's really not, it's, it's from, I don't know what the, the educational board and then working backwards to you as a teacher. Yeah. And you just got to find 
ways to make it fun, you know, and express your own personality and get the kids interested. Because if you did just teach to the standards day in and day out, it's going to get exhausting for them. And I think for you as well as a teacher. Yeah, that's a good point. I guess when it comes back to then like this subject of financial literacy, clearly it's not like other people have not tried this. And I'm sure there are things in the works and maybe we can get to that in just a little bit if like you can bring us up to date of what's happening in the educational system. Mm -hmm. But I'm wondering like, is there somehow a lack of incentive uh, somehow for the educational board or even just for teachers? So like, do you feel as if there's any things missing as a just broad brushstrokes as we're starting this conversation, what might be missing here in this chain link for financial literacy? Yeah. Yeah. So there was a lot missing. I, I think it certainly improved uh, to your point about some, some recent changes to curriculums in certain states, but there really was, let's see, I started teaching in 2007 and there was no incentive then to, to really talk about financial education I think one of the standards, but again, this was one we passed over quickly because I knew it wouldn't be on the test, was about, for example, how to create a resume. It's mm. such a valuable life skill, right? Because teaching kids how to earn money should definitely be a priority in school as well, as well as you know how to save, how to invest, everything else, um, and how to give. But that, that was all that I can remember that even remotely sort of related, I think, to personal finance and careers. Yeah. So, you know, going back to what we were talking about earlier, there's been some progress in, in schools and curriculum. Um, don't quote me on any of this, but... Sure, sure. But what's your sense of what has been the progress since 2007? Yeah, so I think that right now we're at about 20 states that do require a financial literacy curriculum. Only one of which, though, I think it's Utah, actually tests against standards in that subject. Interesting. <laughs> There, yeah, and then there's roughly 20 more that have some sense of personal finance literacy built into, you know, their, their state standards as well. But with those 20 states, it's kind of up to the, the states and the teachers and the schools to determine how they want to weave personal finance education into their curriculum. So whether it be math or maybe it's history with the Great Recession and talking about investing then, so, uh, but they're not necessarily held accountable for it. And then there's eight to 10 states or so that, that really receive like an F grade in, in education. Yeah, yeah. have no sense of requirement uh, whatsoever. But, but I would say this, like that's still a lot of progress from where we were 10, 15 years ago, where this wasn't anything that we talked about um, yeah. in the halls of the classrooms. One of the things you just brought up, and, and this is a function partially too of my kids being just so young and so, but I'm thinking about the, just the classes that they, I mean, obviously the school has a set schedule. You've got history, you've got English, you've got math and maybe language. And so maybe there's a challenge of just understanding, do we create this whole new class or are you fitting that into the existing system? And just your comment now made me think of that. So where, where is it slot into? Does it make sense to have that be its own class or does it fit within another topic header? What's your sense? Yeah, I mean, I, I think we got to start somewhere, right? So it makes sense for those roughly, again, don't, don't quote me on this, but 20 states or so that do have some requirements um, at the, the classroom level to, to teach personal finance. But even those that do require it, I don't know what that looks like exactly, yeah. right? Like, are yeah. we just teaching them? I remember for me personally, the only thing I remember learning in school was how to write a check and how to balance a checkbook. Mm -hmm. Also, both of which, right, we don't 
really do often anymore. So it's funny to learn how to spend money before I learned how to save it. But yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. But I think, like I said, you know, we got to start somewhere. So I think that's progress. So let's get those other 10 states or so on board yeah. and leave it up to the teachers. And I think you might find, you know, when I started sharing my, my real life, and I, I do remember at some point we talked about budgeting, probably when we talked about resumes is the students did perk up when we talked about money. And I, and I think it's because students like to feel like they're treated as grownups. Yeah. And so money, like what's more grown up than, than talking about money and finances and, and big decisions that, that lay ahead of them, um, how to earn it, how to save it, how to, especially how to spend it, I guess, oftentimes for them. So I think it's just starting somewhere. And yeah, I can certainly see with the momentum we've built that five to 10 years from now, this could be a required course in, in all states, really. Yeah. Least, yeah. Makes me think too about the different, just as, as kids are progressing through school and what's appropriate given their age or, or just even like their personal skills. So as you were thinking about your teaching experience, you know, did you see as if there was a specific age, uh, just throwing this out there, like age eight is different than age five, obviously. And so at age eight, you can start engaging them certainly by or before age 10. So I wonder what's the appropriate age for for us as parents to be starting to engage our kids on this subject. So do you have a sense of when that's going to fit in, given your exposure to all these different grade levels? Yeah, I mean, actions speak louder than words. So I think even before you're having conversations with your kids at home, just know that they're, they're constantly observing you, right? From literally day one, kids are extremely impressionable at a very young age. And so the habits that they often develop are because they've observed it and they spend the most time with their parents. So it often ends up being from the parents. And so I think even before you're having the conversation, it's the actions and then you can start really having conversations about allowance and and how that works. And there's so many different ways that parents can structure allowance. Um, I think, you know, talking about not just earning money, but how to save money, the different ways to save money, why you save money, I don't think it's too early at eight to 10 years old to talk about retirement. Now, maybe you don't want to dig into 529s and retirement accounts and the specifics of of investing and compound interest. But yeah, I think the conversation is just key to start having and being open about it and being open with, you know, your partner as well. I think it really starts there. Yeah. Um, but they see that they observe that you're constantly stressed about money or you're constantly telling them no without any kind of reason for why they can't have things that they want before they can really have a a strong sense of what money is and where it comes from. I I think those are key things to think about. I love this. And this is going to get me on my soapbox. And it's a, it might, it might be difficult for some people to hear because now comes like the true sense of accountability, especially as a parent where, you know, we're thinking about this in the context of school and educational system, but you bring up a tremendous point. This actually starts at home and it probably needs to finish at home. And so as much as we want to teach our kids, I think they're going to, um, like a silly phrase my dad used to say is more is caught than taught. 
And what he means by that is more is learned by just like kids watching, of course, and I can recall that for even my parents. But somehow, like as a parent, I, I forget that, that my kids are watching me and all of these like nonverbal things that I'm doing, whether it's like being stressed out about a vacation or spending money and things. So actually, maybe there needs to be an entire show designated to just us as parents and thinking critically about, wait, how am I nonverbally interacting with money on a day-to-day basis? And what am I teaching my kids, even if I'm not meaning to teach them? So, right. I mean, you, you think about it too. If, if they don't learn it from you, they're going to learn it from their friends, right? And, and peer pressure is a really nasty thing. And uh, we also come to it at some point. But if you really have habits um, built in, and you understand you're, you're not going to feel like you're living without, right? Because you don't have the name brand things that other people have or the, the toys. Or I remember all of my friends had these really cool road bikes or racer bikes. I don't, I don't know what you call them. And this one year I got this mountain bike and I remember this, like just feeling so ungrateful at first because I didn't learn to appreciate, Mm. you know, what I had at the time. And eventually I owned it and I rode my, my mountain bike behind all of the really fast road bikes. But that was just a really interesting lesson, right? And kids really learn lessons through experiences as well. And so I think it's important not just to have conversations, but to like put it actually in, in practice and have them struggle and uh, really grapple with some, some bigger concepts at a young age. Yeah, that's really, I'm glad you bring that up too. And that's an important segue. And I'll put in the show notes, um, an article for this, but uh, some of you may know Barry Ritholtz, who's really popular and he writes for Bloomberg and they have a wealth management firm on the East Coast too. But he's got a great article, even just from earlier this year, talking just about beyond the classroom, what are the major barriers for financial literacy, even in just like the home. And one of those first things is like lack of just, just, tangible interaction with money or money skills. Yeah. Um, I'm going to quickly go through these, but then I want to digest them with you. Another one is a lack of repetition. You know, maybe we cover it once as a parent and then think we've like crossed it off our list. Like, oh, I've gone to the doctor for this year and I'm going to wait another year before I go back and get my physical or something. And then yeah. also like, you know, not giving sort of uh, anything to any, any type of formulas because sometimes it can become complex. So you bring up that important part of like, having this be something that's learned by doing. So yeah, I wonder what, what else can we provide or offer to uh, like tips to other parents out there? I wonder what are some tangible ways for us to learn by doing for you know, learning money skills in the household? Yeah. I mean, I brought up allowance briefly earlier and I think there's just so many different ways you can think about allowance. So you can do the standard where I remember getting, you know, $5 or whatever it was every Friday but that was just, I don't know if I actually think that was the right method because then you just start to assume you're getting it and you feel like you have to earn it. So you could go the alternate route where they earn it by trading their time for money, right? They learn that at a very young age. Or, you know, let's say there's a big purchase on the horizon that they really want. Like I remember really wanting that that PlayStation 2 or whatever. Mm, that's mm, totally. Like, and, yeah. And you can encourage your kids, well, okay, you have a goal. Let's talk about what it takes to get there. Let's talk about what it costs and make a deal with them at an early age. So for example, if, if you were to match money that they were to put towards something, that would be a really early, easy way to teach them about what an employee matches. Um, for example, come you know, retirement savings as an adult. So I think there's some, some clever things you can do to think about um, even just starting with something as simple as allowance that could actually make a, a pretty big impact long-term. 
So something that I've experienced actually with a very close family friend is having money as part of their birthday goals. And so if they desire to have a trip to Disneyland or they want to do some other activity of if they're nine this year and they want to do something big for the 10 year birthday that you trade your time for money and that's how you get the allowance but then you're required to save up a little bit for that birthday and then it's matched at some level by the parents and i just found that 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 one anecdote story from 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 my family friend that this was a really fun and unique way to get the kids on board. I'm sure every kid is different, so some will respond better to that, but I love that sort of tangible nature of it. Yeah, and just one other thing is, and I don't I don't know the answer, the solution for figuring out how we do this, but I think what would be super important to teach kids, whether it be in the classroom or, or at home, is that that giving is just as important, I think, than than earning or, or saving. So you know, starting to help kids understand and learn and develop compassion um, and empathy towards others that it can actually feel just as good. And some kids actually, I've noticed, like just have this built in where they, they genuinely like just giving, whether it be their, their time or their energy or, or money. But um, that can actually feel just as good, I think, as, as saving and, and seeing your money kind of, kind of grow as, as to give as well. I'm so glad you brought that up because that's really important for me. And that's a family value that I want to pass on to my three kids, but you know, it's save, spend and give. I mean, that's just one of the core things that you have to think about as money. And certainly like for me as a Christian, you have to remember like, you know, I feel like God owns it all. So it's not just mine. So if it's partly not just mine, then I can give freely to others. And actually there's a huge sense of satisfaction. I don't have to be so like stingy with my money if that's part of it. So I think you're right. I'm glad you brought that up. It's not just actually learning like, oh, what's my budget or what should I spend money on? But I think giving could be a nice third component to it. Yeah. Like what giving a sense of purpose and a sense of why behind money, right? It is not just, I mean, it is just a tool, really, you could look at it that way, but learning about money and learning what it feels like to give, learning what it it feels like to earn, I think your freedom long-term via compound interest or whatever it is, is just super critical to learn early on. Well, I want to wrap up on this little short episode. We're obviously not going to tackle why financial literacy is so important, but we've covered some important things. One, it's not just an educational issue. It's a home issue. And so for those parents out there listening, it's important to take a little self audit of how am I interacting with money in the household? And then a couple other like takeaways from what we talked about is, of course, it's a taboo subject, but talking about it in the household, even at an early age, can be a helpful thing. And getting the kids engaged in a fun way and keeping it fun is good. And then one thing that you said, Frankie, is just making sure that giving is part of the equation. What other sort of uh, actionable items come to your mind as we're closing off the episode? Yeah, we, we covered it, but I think just conversation is is key and how you, you treat money and talk about money with your spouse and with your kids. But the other thing that I'm not so in tune with for that group, but there's excellent opportunities out there is there's new fintech financial technology popping up every day. Like apps are like, I imagine that the way people even pay allowance is probably through Venmo these days, right? Like everything is just changed. Yeah. So I know that even if it's not necessarily in your state or in your classrooms, there's tons of resources, whether it be phone apps or 
you know, YouTube is an excellent resource, for example, that there are resources out there that are free that you can lean on and leverage and just, just ask around or do a little bit of research and see if there are some fun ways to kind of gamify money and money education uh, with your kids. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Yeah, fintech is a great resource and we should harness that power of technology. Maybe we'll do that in another episode. We'll break down some of the fintech options for uh, for parents or educators alike to help with financial literacy. So Frankie, thanks for coming on. It's been fun. Thanks, John. Hey, I didn't tell you, but it's actually my birthday today. Speaking of birthdays. Woo! Happy birthday, Frankie. <laughs> well, I assume this was like my birthday present. So 21 uh, years old. You look sharp, my friend. Every year somehow. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Great. Hey, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, John. Thanks for tuning in to The John Chapman Show. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or Spotify. We encourage your questions, comments, and feedback. For additional information, check out thejohnchapmanshow.com or look for John on LinkedIn and Twitter. See you next week.